Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Mainland Podcast. We are at episode, oh my goodness, 23 I believe we're up to now. I am Michael Citro from the Mainland.com, the uh, SB Nation official Orlando City FC website. Uh, and um, joining me this week, got a couple of newbies, uh, fairly new staff members, Kyle Foley and Brent Petkus are joining me this week. We've had uh, a number of folks uh, out and overseas and busy and all these other things, so uh, we're going to give some more uh, some more of our staff a chance to uh, to tickle your ears here on the uh, the podcast, uh, guys. How are you doing tonight? Doing all right. Doing pretty good. Reco- recovering from from the brutal game on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. We um, we certainly will will talk about that in, in just a few moments, but uh, we'll start out with uh, you know talking a little bit about uh, the things that have happened since our our last podcast, and uh, one of those things was we had a U.S. Open Cup date at Chicago, which uh, didn't really go as planned. Um, Orlando City goes up there, loses 3-1. They play absolutely horrifically bad in the first half and still uh, were trailing 1-0 on a third-minute goal. Uh, They come out in the second half, get a Kyle Lahren goal, and actually played pretty okay the rest of the the second half and then in the 87th minute bang bang three uh, two goals in three minutes they give up uh just when it looked like extra time was coming it might get uh, a chance to flip a coin with the old penalties if uh, if things had stayed the way they were and um orlando city is out of uh their first uh u.s open cup as an mls club getting into the quarterfinals which is the furthest the uh, the club's ever been in the u.s open cup uh but Pretty disappointing when you see uh, how it was starting to line up with Philadelphia waiting in the semifinals, uh, and then uh, you know you get past them and you're in the final and anything can happen. So uh, why don't we start with you, Brent? What were your uh, your overall thoughts of the match? You know, overall it's tough to give up a goal in the first five minutes of a match, and when you when you start you're away from home and you go down one nothing within first five minutes, it's tough to come back. Um, you could kind of see that there was just a lack of effort throughout the field all night long. And, I mean, they the stat line 
pretty much showed that with the exception of possession. Orlando does possess the ball very well, but they were outshot uh, 20 to 8, 7 to 1 on targets. So, I mean, it was one of those nights for Orlando that you just you just didn't see the effort that they normally had. Yeah, exactly. And 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 Kyle, you know, here's a game where you know, soccer is a funny game because how many times have you seen a team that that deserves to win get beat and a team that doesn't deserve to win wins the game? Orlando City, you couldn't really argue that they deserve to win, but there they were, 1-1 with three minutes to play and having, you know, pouring numbers forward to really try to, to, to take the game on the road and win it, and all of a sudden you're pulling two goals out of, out of your net. That's a, that's a pretty disheartening way to end the game. Yeah, I think, and one of the things we've seen throughout most of the season, or at least the beginning part, is that when we get to the end of the games, our defense likes to sit back. Uh, they're either playing up way too high or they're just kind of not paying attention to what's going on and next thing you know there's the team scoring the winning goal and we've seen that happen uh way too many times of course one time is way too many as a fan (laughs) but uh it's just one of those things where there's so little time left and there's that attitude of all right we're gonna go to extra time we've got this it's okay we just gotta sit here let the clock run out and then all of a sudden next thing you know two goals are in and most of those guys haven't even had time to look around and figure out what's going on. Yeah, that was pretty disheartening the way that that happened. It was nice to see the team going for the win. Not quite as nice to see it being snatched away from them so close to extra time. Brent, the the club keeps conceding goals this month. Um, what are you seeing from the back line and the, and the goalkeeping that is contributing to this suddenly I mean the team went on a a nice run especially at home where they weren't conceding goals and now it's two or three every game yeah yeah we'll start with the goalkeeping I think Tally Hall's played well throughout the uh the the month of July I mean he started off July with an amazing game probably his best game of the season against Real Salt Lake on July 4th um and most of the goals that he's given up it's really been some of the back four issues now most teams in all leagues, whether it's Major League Soccer or the Premier League, you keep your back four as consistent as possible. And we've kind of had some difficulties. We've had Hines, we've Collins got some injuries, St. Ledger's had some injuries. Um, so I think it's a consistency that they're just not sinking together on the back line, um, and they're leaving too much space. It's all about spacing when you're playing in the back four. You want to make sure that you minimize the space. But... Uh, Teams have found a way to break us down, and they're finding ways to score goals on us. And the key to winning championships is two things. Defend, 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 and defend your set pieces, and and, and get a plus-minus on your set pieces, score your set pieces. And you win championships that way. And Orlando just didn't defend well um, in that key moment in the last five minutes and the first five minutes. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and, you know, the... To me, the most disappointing goal isn't necessarily the the two counters at the end. The, the, to me, the most disappointing goal was the first goal uh, in the third minute where it was just a routine clearance by John Bush. And all of a sudden, Jason Johnson's running through the back line, which didn't seem to realize the ball was coming their way. And, and, and he's in alone on goal, and Tally Hall had no chance. Um, Kyle, when you see a game start like that, what you know, what goes through your mind? My first thought that goes through my head is how many are they going to get? <laughs> because I, I look at that and I'm like, look, you give that up and and what are you going to do? Are you going to sit there? And, and, and there's two ways that goes. The team either, that's kind of the wake-up call and they realize the game started and they show up and they start playing. 
or that's kind of the disheartening, like, that's just a blow, especially that quickly in the way it happened. It's one of those things where it's very possible for the team to say, oh, what are we going to do, you know? Especially in the Open Cup, it's really easy to say, it's the Open Cup, we don't really care. Uh, And we didn't see that as much as I was expecting to. We definitely saw a lot of fight coming through, uh, you know, scoring the goal to equalize it. But then in the end, we kind of saw, you know, the attitude of, you know, not a big deal. And I think that's, I think that's the attitude that, that showed on that opening goal was that, you know, this is the Open Cup. We don't really care that much. We talk about how much we care, but in reality, we don't. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you guys for your for your man of the match for Orlando City. We'll start with you, Brent, uh, and then Kyle. Uh, who was your man of the match? I know nobody played great, but you know who do you, who do you think uh, had a decent game? Uh, I'm going to go with Saren. He's been playing extremely well. He sits back in the defensive mid position and just really holds it down, distributes the ball well. He's kind of just the unsung hero, the workhorse of this team, and he was a workhorse. He's kind of the one shining moment of that team on that night. Kyle? Yeah, I, I'm also going to go with Saren. He's kind of – but he's been – kind of my player of the team from the beginning of the season. Uh, obviously, everybody kind of latches on to, you know, having Kaká, and Kaká's been great, and obviously having him is is really good. But Saren has definitely been the glue that's kind of held our midfield together, and I think we notice that the most when he's not there. When we're missing him, we really realize that it, just not having him kind of puts a little hole in the team. And so I think even in that game, a game where, there wasn't much positive to take from. He definitely was still doing what he could to hold it together. Yeah, and I'll make it. An, I'll make it a you know full unanimous uh, pick for for Saren as well. I thought he he did well. If I I don't have the stats in front of me from memory. Uh, he had uh, I believe he had the most touches. He drew some fouls late in that game and um, gave the team a chance. But. Uh, um, just not a good, uh, not a good game from anybody. Adrian Heath was livid after the game, not happy with his club. Not he didn't think there was any desire there, and and you know I I know the team put a lot of emphasis on the U.S. Open Cup because the winner of U.S. Open Cup gets a, a free pass into Champions League, Concacaf Champions League, and I know that the ownership and the management of this team wants to play international football. So um, it was it was there within the grasp. If you beat Chicago, you've got. Philadelphia team on the road again, but not a team that anybody's really afraid of per se. And, uh, you know, then once you get in the final, um, ends up being uh, RSL or sporting Kansas city. And we've seen RSL already and played them to one, one draw, uh, with 10 men. And, um, I haven't seen sporting KC yet, but we have a pretty good history with them. So, uh, in terms of, of, of knowing a little bit about them. So, uh, you had to like the chances, uh, if you get by Chicago and it didn't happen and, so here we are talking about uh, another another loss in the month of July. Speaking of which, let's turn our attention to Sunday at Yankee Stadium, shall we? <laughs> um, again, didn't go to plan. Uh, Orlando City actually, uh, you know, on the on the tight field, uh, Yankee Stadium. It just didn't seem like anyone was going to score in that first half, and all of a sudden a ball comes in from midfield and uh, Villa latches onto it gets a couple of feet between himself and Sean St. Ledger and uh, puts his team ahead one nothing. And, um, you know, credit uh, Orlando City for fighting back a few times, but uh, a really, really leaky defense. Um, Brent, in full disclosure, Brent played uh, 
goalkeeper in college at a Division One school. So, Brent, I'm going to ask you what was going on with the uh, the three four three formation and and why was it not working uh, on Sunday? Sure. So the three four three formation is it's a difficult formation to run. However, um, what where it is similar to what Orlando usually runs in a four two three one is that the outside mid in the three four three is supposed to drop back and be the fourth defender. So the weak side midfielder needs to drop back. That gives you four with then two, three, one. So what was not happening was Eric Avila was on the outside. Um, Ash was doing a pretty good job because naturally he plays the outside back position and he kind of works up and down the field. But Eric Avila looked absolutely lost on that position. He didn't know when to step forward, step back. And two of the goals, uh, the McNamara goal and the uh, the Collier goal, they uh, they really showed that Avila just did not was not in the right position to be uh, in there. So um, Sally Hall, I, at first I thought the first David Villa goal, he looked out of position, but if he steps two steps to his right, he can't see the ball. So I think that's more of a great individual effort by Villa, but the formation itself. Um, I don't know if it was just because of the field or it was because of personnel. Um, it was just something different that I didn't particularly think that was working for Orlando. Yeah, the interesting thing about that that first via goal was it. You kind of think from that distance that you probably have the the near post covered, so maybe you cheat a little bit towards the far post. But um, you know, with somebody of his quality, it, it doesn't really matter. He's going to score from there no matter what. Uh, if he if he has room to make that shot and certainly uh, St. Ledger had him and then all of a sudden he was off of him it was a, a little a little subtle bump before the ball came in and, and it gave via just enough space to bring the ball down and have room to make that shot so uh, a great individual effort but uh, I'm sure Sean St. Ledger would like to have that back again um, Kyle the game what did you think about the the narrowness of the field and how many turnovers there were both ways. Because to me, I was frustrated watching that game and I didn't think it was appealing soccer to watch in terms of, you know, you couldn't get on the ball. And if, if a pass came to you and you didn't field it exactly cleanly enough and it, and it got with, you know, maybe a foot from you, they were already on top of you to take it away. It, to, to me, it was a very frustrating, um, just a frustrating game to watch. And I've seen other games uh, in New York City that were very similar. It, to me, it just is not pleasing soccer to watch. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yankee Stadium is by far one of the most beautiful sports venues, uh, one of the most prestigious in the world. It should never be used for a soccer game. Um, it, it, the size is too small, and the size limits play. Uh, we saw that with Kaká. We saw he wasn't able to do everything that he's so used to doing uh he doesn't have that freedom of all that creativity and all that space because every time you know and obviously he's used to two or three guys coming at him when he's got the ball but here there's way less space for him to get away way less space for those guys to have to cover to get to him so i just think it really shuts down the creativity of the team and it makes you kind of have to play in a more direct way and that's just not it's not the style we've played. We like to play out wide. We like to try to bring it in from the outside. And that's so much harder to do when you're missing a few feet on each side. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, You know, somebody was telling me that the dimensions for Yankee Stadium are not um, hugely 
smaller than you know, which is a weird way to say it, but it's not tons a ton smaller than than Orlando's size field. But the sight lines and the camera angles make it look really really tight. And I, I can tell you that you know when when these balls come in in the Citrus Bowl and you take it on your foot and maybe it gets a foot foot and a half from you, there's not instantly two three guys around you like there were at Yankee Stadium. It just seemed uh, like you had way less time on the ball uh, on Sunday, and it, it 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 made for a little bit of clunky play. It was almost like watching indoor soccer to me, except in the first half there weren't any goals, and in the second half there were a ton of goals. So let's talk about those goals, and uh, we talked about the defense a little bit, Brent, and, and you explained about the 3-4-3 three, three formation. Um, here's an interesting thing. It can pretty much be argued successfully that Kyle Lahren did not play well at all in the first half. In fact, there was a, a moment in the early in the second half where uh, Mark Watson got Martin Patterson up warming up because of a play where Kyle didn't really give much effort getting uh, back into position after a run, and he nearly came off the field. And next thing you know, it's in the net, and he ends up with a hat trick, first hat trick, MLS hat trick for Orlando City, and obviously his first of his career. Uh, what 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 is it about Kyle Lahren right now? To me, he looks like a very good, very talented player that can be very dangerous, but he looks like he's got the inconsistency of a rookie right now. Yeah, I think his inc- it's, it's, he's a rookie. I think you you summed that up perfectly. Is he's a rookie? He's not used to playing games at this level. I mean, playing Division One soccer. Yes, the season is so short and quick, and he's now playing games. Over a long period of time, he's got international duty um, that he came back from, and he is playing inconsistent. But I know there's been a lot of outcry to see Patterson more and see other forwards up top, but he's been our consistent scorer. Um, If he gets a ball, I'm fairly comfortable that he is going to finish it. Uh, The three goals that he scored, those are goals that strikers need to finish. That third one should be goal of the week for the MLS. I don't see um, another goal, uh, maybe the Houston Dynamo goal, where they kind of chips up, chips the goalkeeper. But to hit that ball with the outside of your foot with no no run-up, no time to take the pace, it makes him the special player. And we've seen that twice this season um, from him. Um, but like you said, the first half, you don't know what you're going to get with him. So is he ready to play 90 minutes? I still don't think so. I think he's a good 60, 70-minute player. But right now, Patterson doesn't look like he's ready. And Ribeiro brings you a different different style of play. He's going to hold the ball up top, whereas Larry can get out and get behind. So we're going to have to deal with the growing pains. But, I mean, if we're going to deal with the growing pains and he can be the uh, one of our leading scorers, I'll take it. You brought up Martin Patterson, uh, Brent, and I want to talk to talk about him for a second. He he's finally healthy again. He has really struggled with a variety of injuries since uh, coming to Orlando City. I got to see him in a couple of the uh, preseason, uh, you know, warm up games. He played very very well against FC Dallas, a largely reserve side FC Dallas, but he had very good rapport with Kevin Molino and uh, Kaká in that match. Um, scored a goal, an assist, and also was taken down for a penalty that Kaká scored on in that match. Very dangerous player in that game and always looked a threat. Kyle, 
what did we see from Martin Patterson uh, on Sunday? Uh, you know, obviously we didn't get a whole whole lot of him the first couple of uh, appearances he made, but on, on Sunday I thought he did some really good things. Had a really nice cross. Um, I believe that was the one where St. Ledger headed it wide, but he he was he was getting the ball in good positions, and I think he's starting to show his value to the club. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things I've noticed about him in all of his appearances, you know, as few as they've been, uh, but even especially on Sunday, he's very aggressive, and not to the extent uh, that Saren and Higuita are, but to the extent where he's always trying to make a play on the ball. And he's always doing what he can, you know, to get to it, to make sure that something something is getting done with it. Uh, he's not kind of sitting back looking, uh, which is nice and it's good to see. But I think what he also brings uh, to the front of our lineup that's different than what Pedro brings is that he is he does have some speed on him. He's not running with sandbags taped to his legs, <laughs> and, and I like that, and that makes a difference, you know. And you guys touched on this. I mean, Laren's great, but he's a rookie. Uh, he's not a six. He's not a ninety-minute guy. He is. I do see him more of a sixty-seven minute, seventy-minute guy. Uh, and then bringing Martin Patterson in for those last thirty minutes, because um, I don't think he health-wise is able to play a full ninety either. So I think if you're able to have Laren in, see what he can do. I mean, we saw what Laren can do, and he was motivated. And I think that's one of the things Patterson was able to do. He's able to provide that leadership, uh, and I'm hoping some of that motivation, you know. It can actually come from Patterson being a being a leader, helping Laren develop as a striker, um, and I think we'll see more of that. Yeah, it's interesting. Kyle is um, he's a very laid back guy, and I think um, a very quiet. He's not a vocal guy. In fact, you could be interviewing him, and if he turns his head, your microphone was, won't pick any of it up. He's that quiet. But You'd really like to see a fiery guy out of your striker, a guy who's who's going to be emotional and and get after it. And a guy doesn't have to necessarily be that way. There's something to be said for even keeled guys, but uh, Patterson is certainly the the polar opposite personality wise from Laren. So I think the two going forward might make an interesting uh, pairing down the stretch if if nobody's signed during the uh, during the transfer window at the the forward position. But why don't we get into – oh, one thing else I wanted to point out about Patterson before we move on. The final goal where Kaká hits the post uh, on the free kick, which is unfortunate. It was a number of close calls. Orlando City certainly could have had four or five more goals in the match. Uh, he hits the post. It gets headed out, and it starts a break. And it's basically a three-on-one with Corey Ash trying to defend three guys. But Patterson made about an 80-yard run to get back and try to help prevent that goal. He did. He got – they're just a tad late, but I love seeing the effort from somebody who really hasn't been involved uh, with the club, you know, through no fault of his own, the injuries. But uh, that made me feel good about, you know, his desire and his uh, willingness to do what it takes to, to win games. So I just wanted to get that out there, and hopefully everybody noticed that. Uh, so let's get on with our, our man of the match uh, for Sunday against New York City FC. I'm assuming we're all going to be on the, the Kyle Laren trade here, but uh, Brent, what do you think? Yeah, it's going to be Kyle Laren. Three goals. I mean, like I said earlier, that third goal is a beauty. Um, the first, uh, the second one uh, that he got from Rebus, I actually give more uh, clout to the ball that Saren played into the corner to Rebus. That was the that was the key ball for that one. But good mm-hmm. striking as a striker, you want him to finish, and three goals. You, you think that if your striker scores three goals, you're going to win a game. But, yeah, Kyle Laren, man, man the match for me. Kyle? Yeah, I, I'd 
you know, love to have the hot take and choose against someone with such an <laughs> awesome name, but I'm going to go with Kyle Aaron. I mean, he scored three goals in a game where we were three inches away from tying. Um, and there was nothing. He, he basically non-existent in the first half, but then when he shows up and he starts playing, and those three goals were great. I mean, he obviously the one was kind of a tap-in from the assist, but I, I think that last goal, uh, like Brent was saying, was just absolutely magnificent. It was one of those goals that just blows you away, and it gets you excited to see what he's got, and, and he definitely brought that all to the table, uh, at least in the second half on Sunday. He sure did. In fact, you know, the interesting thing is Laren could have had five goals in that game. He had uh, he had one pulled back on a foul, uh, which, okay, yeah, they call that a lot, but I, I thought it was a little soft, and he had another one that was cleared off the line, uh, which he didn't get a, a good solid header on. It actually hit him in the chest off a corner. Uh, had he got his head on it, certainly would have gone in, but it was cleared off the line because it uh, was a little bit slow bouncer. But it did beat Saunders. He unfortunately had a defender behind him to clear it off the line. Um, so I think we're going to turn our attention now toward uh, Saturday night. Um, following the midweek All-Star break, we've got Columbus crew coming into town. It'll be... Uh, Cruz third trip to the Citrus Bowl this year and the fourth meeting between the two teams. So um, to help us get ready for the Columbus crew, we've got a special guest. Why don't we get to him right now? All right, joining us on the Mainland Podcast, he's been here before, staff writer for the Massive Report, Pat Murphy. Pat, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, guys. How's it going? It's going really, really horribly, okay. quite honestly. <laughs> We're kind of o for July, and it's uh, it's not been a fun month for uh, for us here in the uh, in uh, in you know Lions Nation. But uh, uh, we're confident that Orlando City will bounce back. Um, we're hoping, uh, unfortunately for you, we're hoping that it happens this Saturday against Columbus Crew. But the first thing I wanted to ask you about is how many times. Are uh, are the crew in Orlando City going to play this year? Because this is going to be fourth times already. Yeah, um, I mean, assuming that both teams get in the playoffs, we could do this thing a lot. Um, it's pretty pretty remarkable that a they've played this many times. Um, usually, when MLS schedules you three times, that's all you get. Um, but the way the Open Cup worked out, obviously, there's already been a, been a third matchup. Um, and you know, I think it's it's helped um, form a bit of a rivalry on the field. Um, between these two teams, and uh, I think it's probably a good thing. You know, you, you bring a new team like Orlando into the league, and you know you've got uh, big crowds and and you know big names and things like that. And you know you want to start forming those rivalries. And you guys don't necessarily have a, a natural geographical rival yet, so if uh, if that helps create a little bit of one for your for you here, then uh, I think the team, um, as long as they keep coming out on the uh, the positive side of things, we'll we'll be okay with it. Yeah, it's it's been pretty cool to see uh, this little rivalry sort of developing organically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a great respect for um, for Columbus from Orlando City's uh, you know players and, and coaching staff. I know Adrian Heath has spoken highly of Greg Berhalter a number of times. Um, Columbus plays the kind of soccer that Orlando City would like to play. Yeah. And I I see I see Columbus as sort of the you know the model for what what Adrian Heath is trying to do right. and he hasn't had obviously uh, the depth and the experience that Columbus has had 
uh, to to work with yet, but I think you can see when the team is playing well, it does play a lot, uh, you know, a very similar style of soccer to to Columbus, and um, you know, I, I think that reflection even kind of ramps up the uh, the intensity even more. Yeah, and and today at, uh, today at practice, Greg Berhalter kind of talked about, you know, we expect Orlando to, you know, they're not going to sit back. We know they're going to play. You know, we're familiar with, with them, and we've seen what they can do, and, and it's going to be an open game, which is the type of game that I think both teams want. You know, neither, you know, it's no fun for either side when a team sits back and puts 10 guys behind the ball and really just makes you work it around in front of the, the defense and things. Um, so I think it's fun to, to play another team that, that wants to do that. You know, we've, we've played Real Salt Lake, who does that. Seattle, you know, came out and attacked even in Columbus and, and things like that. So um, the more teams that will, uh, will jump in there and really play kind of a possession style, attacking style, and, and not just try and sit back and score on the counter is is something that Chris C is excited about. Sir, talk about the uh, talk about the play of Steve Clark. He now leads the league in saves. What does he bring to Columbus's team? Yeah, um, when Steve came over last year, he was um, remarkable. I mean, they had uh, backup Matt Lampson, who has now been put sent on loan um, <clears throat> to uh, the independence of the PDL and or the. Yeah, the, the second, second or third division down there, and um, you know it was kind of a battle between the two of them uh, last or two preseasons ago, um, and Clark won the job. And I think before the season, fans were a little skeptical about you know this guy's coming in, we don't know much about him, what's he going to bring? And you know we've seen Matt Lampson, he's a homegrown kid, he's done well, um, and Clark won everyone over, you know teammates, coaches, fans. He's an energetic guy, he's fiery on the field. He makes big time saves. You know, after the game, he's made a tradition of going over to the Nordec, the Caressi supporter section, and he does the uh, Daniel Bryant yes chant from from wrestling. Um, I'm told. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, he's. I mean, on the field, the players love him. He communicates. Um, I will say, last year he was. He came up with some bigger saves um, in some bigger moments than he has this year, and, and I think that's part of the reason the team's defense hasn't been as good. Um, but, you know, we saw in this last game, despite giving up three goals against Toronto, in the first half he was huge, um, made a big stop early and, and coming out. Another big thing with him is the way he can play with his feet. He talked about the possession style these teams want to play. Well, the goalkeeper has to be a part of that. Um, you have to be able to work the ball around the back, and Steve is very comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, sometimes it almost seems too comfortable because he'll let the attacker, you know, get pretty close before he he <laughs> cuts the ball back or it, it plays it out. But very rarely do you see him just clear the ball down the field and and you know hope that Kai Kamara can win a header or something like that. Usually it, he keeps the possession and and finds you know either Michael Parkhurst or whoever else is is playing on the back line there. So. He's been a big part of, of the success that they've had over the last year and a half. And, you know, despite initially having to battle for the job, he is the far and away starter for this team. Oh, yeah. So you kind of mentioned it at the end. Uh, you brought up Kai Kamara. And so it's just, you know, one of the things that Orlando struggles with is do, do we have a forward who can bring in the goals that we need? And Columbus definitely has that. What is it about Kamara that makes him so special? Um. Well, I think part of, obviously the goals, um, I think you touched on that. He's leading the league in goals. Um, and that's been huge. Um, last year, the team scored 52 goals, which was some of the most they scored in, in club history, but it came a lot from the wingers. It came from Federico Iguain. There was not a consistent guy up top. And, um, you know, Kai Kamara was brought in to be that guy. Um, everyone 
who I've talked to and with this team will admit that Kamara has been above and beyond what they expected. Um, you know, he's he's on pace to, you know, make a run at not only the team's scoring record at 26, but the league scoring record. Um, you know, if he can keep up the form and, and stay healthy. And we'll, we'll see about that because, you know, a lot of guys have, have made an effort. No one has done it in quite a long time. But, um, you know, he, he also brings diversity to the team. You know, he can play as that central striker, which is not what we saw from him the last time he was in MLS when he played with Kansas City kind of out on the wing. Um, so his experience out there allows the, the attacking three to kind of uh, rotate positions. And both Justin Merrim and Ethan Finley were, uh, were forwards in a past life, um, and by that I mean mostly college. And so those guys are comfortable up top, um, so they can they can move around, which makes it harder to defend when you know all of a sudden Kamara's on the right side, Finley's making a run central, and and Merrim can even tuck in behind. Iguain can then fill in the space, and so you've got uh, you've got a lot of options there. And you know his athleticism these last few games has really come to light with the way he's risen above defenders and and scored with his head. Um, he can he can kind of do a little bit of everything and. You know, I think that's what the team was looking for last year. Couldn't find it with the guys that were here. And um, Berhalter went out and found somebody who he knew could be a reliable striker up top. Yeah, Kamara was very impressive in the in the Toronto match. I, I know he had a couple of, that he'd like back that just barely missed goals yep. and uh, ended up in a 3-3 draw. But he's he's ve- been very impressive. And I, and I do believe you're correct when you when you talk about the way that the, the guys kind of change uh, positions back and forth, and it's a very free-flowing um, offense, which is what I like. And it's also what Orlando City tries to do with Kaká and Carlos Rivas mm-hmm. and, and Kyle Lahren. There's a lot of movement there, too, as well, just not uh, as much experience, obviously, up there. Um, we take a lot of grief from Columbus fans because something one of our guys wrote about uh, them having mid-to-low table talent. Yeah. Um And I want to go on record as to say, because I take all the grief on the Twitter feed from the fans, but... Um, and rightfully so. I want, I, I want to go on, on record as saying that you know SB Nation's editors were asked before the season uh, to to predict the season standings. And then I actually predicted Columbus would finish second in the Eastern Conference right up there with uh, – I had New England, I think, first, and then uh, Columbus and, and D.C. Uh, New England obviously hasn't panned out, but the rest of it's looking pretty good right now for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the reason I thought that is because they, they were coming back with a veteran squad and adding – the one real element that they were missing last year, which was that that target striker up top, and I thought Kamara would give them that, and he's he's obviously more than than done that. But Pat, what I want to ask you is, because you guys have been around the league long enough to know what this is like, when you see the same team multiple times in you know the same year, how how does the the team sort of approach a game like that in terms of? Of you know you've already you already kind of know what each other's going to do. I mean you know is, does Columbus have an advantage having been through that before? Um, I maybe. Um, I think there's a couple ways you can look at it. One, you you are familiar with the team, but on the other hand, you know that they're going to change things up. And you know, for instance, um, you know, two weeks ago, uh, Chris he played Chicago twice in. They played him Wednesday. They played him Sunday. Um, and Burhalter talked about how they knew that, that Chicago wasn't going to come out and do the same thing that they did in the first match. Um, and I think that you can kind of apply that to, to what these teams have done. Um, they're not going to change up major things. Obviously, 
these teams want to play the way that that they do. But uh, you know, little little things, little nuances, I think, are what uh, what can make a difference when when a team does get familiar. And I think over the course of you know a few years, and obviously there's a lot of turnover in MLS, but you know you you begin to see Eastern Conference teams quite a bit, and you know you learn you learn what they do, you learn their tendencies, player tendencies, coach tendencies, things like that. Um, and I think that's just been accelerated between these two teams. Now, in terms of an advantage, I think you can equally, um, you know, say that Orlando has, you know, has seen Columbus. They've seen what Columbus does. Um, now, the only game that both teams ended with, you know, 11 men on the pitch was the Open Cup game when Columbus didn't have a full squad out there. But I think, you know, the advantage is going to come with who makes the, the tactical adjustment that, that you know, can, can change things. Um, I don't know if necessarily being in the league longer will, will really make a huge difference in that, in that aspect, but, um, you know, it, it might just because the guys have, have been through it before. Um, I would say both teams are on, on fairly level footing. It's just who can win that, that, you know, small adjustment here or there that, that makes the difference. So you talk about the adjustments and the tactics of, of Columbus. What formation has Columbus been their base formation and what do you expect uh, to see um, Saturday against Orlando when, um, obviously, we've, you've talked about it, where there's one, both games in the MLS were, had a red card in it, so we really haven't seen a full Columbus squad against a full Orlando squad. So what do you expect Saturday coming from Columbus formation-wise? Yeah, typically they play, you know, it lines up kind of like a 4 2 well, it's kind of weird. It's a 4 4 one 3-1, I guess, or 4-4-1-1 um, traditionally, but it, it kind of varies. You've got you know the the, center, the back line, but the wing backs are going to push forward, similar to what Orlando does. Um, Will Trap um, in the kind of defensive midfield drops back, and the outside backs slide wide. Um, you know, so the the wing backs provide the width um, of the field, and then you the outside midfielders tend to push in and, like I talked about, rotate through. And then you've got Iguain kind of filling in, Tony Chani filling in in the midfield. Um, but it's interesting that you asked that because this last week, um, once they were up against Toronto, uh, Burhalter made an interesting change taking out Iguain and bringing in Mohamed Saeed, who filled in for Will Trapp while he was hurt. Um, but Saeed is a more attacking-minded player. And so they kind of switched to a 4-3-3 um, that sat back a little um, with Saeed being kind of the anchor in the midfield, um, which is interesting because that's something we hadn't seen before and not something I think you'll see a lot because Iguain doesn't necessarily fit into that. But it is another little wrinkle that, uh, that Berhalter showed last week that the team looked fairly comfortable in, you know, at least going forward, um, that, that you could see if, you know, this game is a 1-0 advantage to Columbus late or something like that. But traditionally, I think, or I think you're going to see their traditional formation, um, you know, that 4-4-1-1 kind of, kind of rotating around style. So uh, playing Toronto and being up and blowing a lead like that, obviously blowing a lead just in general is going to you know, kind of diminish the morale of the team. But how is blowing a 3 nothing lead going into a 3-3 draw going to affect the team coming into the weekend against Orlando? Yeah, it's interesting. After the game, um, you know, the, the mood in the locker room was, was pretty down. I think the guys kind of looked at it as you know, almost like a real disappointing loss. Um, it was the first time in team history they'd blown a three nothing lead, and you know that that's going back twenty years now. Um, you know the the way it happened, um, I think, is more disheartening than that it happened because you know you you're up two zero at halftime, you get that goal at the beginning of the first half to go up three nothing, and then immediately allow you know an equalizer or a uh, 
uh, a goal to to pull one back. And then, you know, they just didn't seem to have the movements, the the quick pace on the ball that they did in the first half. There were giveaways, um, and, you know, some some people have even questioned this team's killer instinct. You know, not only this game, but there's been a couple others. You know, you look at the Orlando game, um, the second Orlando game in Orlando, you, you're up 2-1. Now, granted, you're down a man. But, you know, a fabulous strike to pull that equalizer there. But, you know, they can't uh, they can't hold on to that one. Similar thing happened against Chicago with a with a late equalizer um, back in the first meet against them. So, you know, the team is aware that that this has become a bit of an issue. Um, You know, I think the the mood today at practice seemed pretty good. So I think they've put the loss behind or the the tie, I'm sorry, behind them. Um, But, you know, it's it's something that they they know that these late goals have have caused them issues. And, you know, it's potentially something that a team like Orlando this weekend and other teams in MLS could take advantage of. Pat, before we let you get out of here, I wanted to, to find out what your thoughts are on the transfer window. And, and uh, Columbus, I believe, has brought one player in already and uh, you know, maybe some plans, that you know, some rumblings that you're hearing about some other folks. Uh, give, me, give us a little quick overview of that. Also, the health of the team. And uh, finally... Your your prediction for Saturday night? Um, yeah, they uh, um, they brought in a player by the name of Cedric Mbwate. Um He was playing over in Spain in the second division. Um, and he was on loan, um, and he was actually signed in the off season. We just had to wait for the the end of his season um, in Europe. And uh, he's made one appearance. Came in against Toronto, and you know he's got a lot of speed on the wing. Um, he's a guy who pl- has played against teams like Real Madrid. Um, if you look him up, the first thing you find is highlights of him against Real Madrid, and he he looks good in that. Um, he's going to be competing on the wing, and and you know I think as he learns learns the system and fits in, he's a guy who could really push for things. Um, there was talk about um, a couple other guys. Uh, Kenwin Jones was a name that was brought up. Um, so far, that seems to be more rumors than than anything else. Um, and then there was a Brazilian right back um, by the name of, well, let me get this right, Zeca, who was down at Santos, and apparently they had a, a loan deal um, in place with an option to buy at the end, a uh, 21-year-old right back, and uh, that ended up falling through because of a new coaching staff there that is willing to give him more playing time and, and whatnot. Um, so as of right now, you know, I, I don't see the, the Kenwin Jones deal becoming much that that rumbling happened a little while ago and there hasn't been a ton of talk since then but um you know it would be interesting to see another guy coming in similar mold to uh, Akai Kamara that would push him a little bit and and you know provide a reliable backup um whether it's Kenvin Jones or someone else but it wouldn't surprise me if you know they they set, settle with what they've got um you know defensively I think they do want that right back spot shored up a little bit um after Hernan Grana who was here at the beginning of the season, went back to Argentina. But, um, you know, if, if they have to continue to kind of go by a committee there, I think they, they are comfortable. Um, I, I would use the word sort of comfortable, I guess. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Um, but those would be the, the, the rumors and, and what's actually happened. Um, and then going into to this game, um, you know, I think it's going to be tough down in Orlando with you know, the, the weather, the humidity. Fortunately, it's been fairly humid here in Columbus the last few days. So um, the turf, you know, that humidity or that heat on the turf, you, you can't recreate that on the practice field here. Um, so, you know, it. I would say Columbus has struggled on the road. You know, I would I would hope that they could get out of there with a draw, but 
to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me if they go down in a, like a 2-1, 3-2 type of game where it's, you know, still another close game like they had um, these last, well, the last two, I guess. Um, but, but, you know, I could I could certainly see Toronto take, or sorry, Orlando taking advantage of uh, a team that hasn't gotten the results they wanted on the road so far this year. Great, Pat. Well, um, uh, we surely appreciate you coming on the podcast again and uh, giving us the Columbus perspective. Pat Murphy, uh, staff writer for Massive Report. Uh, as always, a pleasure. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Well, big thanks to Patrick Murphy. Uh, you know, Pat's a good guy. Uh, he's like me. He's an Ohio State blogger, although we write, write for different Ohio State blogs. Um, so I can relate to Pat. And it's good to have him on the show, and he's always uh, he's always uh, very informative. And uh, he knows his soccer, and he knows his Columbus crew. So we're we're thankful that uh, he was able to to come on on short notice this week. Um, guys, uh, you know, let's just talk amongst ourselves now about Columbus. We we know that it's going to be a knockdown dragout fight. We know that these teams are very um, competitive. They there's these games are a little bit chippy at times. Um, uh, we'll start with you, Brent. Again, um, what do you expect to see on Saturday night? What's the key matchup in your mind? And I think the key matchup is going to be whether or not we can defend. We have had trouble defending all the month of July. Um, so it's going to be the back four. Who's going to be there in the back four? Is Ramos going to be back from injury? If he's not, who plays that outside back position? Um, do you see Luke Bolden coming back? Um does Ash come in and take that spot if, if Ramos can't? But then can they consistently defend as a team? The uh, the supporter section, they're going to get us a goal. We, with their support and uh, the atmosphere that is the Citrus Bowl, we can get a goal. It's whether or not we can hold them. I think that's the big thing, is our back four against the height of the Columbus crew. Yeah, they are a tall team, and you know the one thing you really, really want when you're trying to to keep a team from scoring is you want Kai Kamara to be on that team, right? Ugh, no, you do <laughs> not. You do not want the leading scorer of the MLS to be uh, looking at, looking across the field. But again, it's just Colin St. Ledger. Is it going to be Hines? Whoever it is, they're going to have to to contain him. And I don't think you're going to see three in the back in on Saturday. I think you're going to see four. You're going to see your four, two, three, one. Um, but it's all about containing him because he's going to get his opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, defending mm-hmm. is like a cold night in a small blanket. You can only cover up so much. So <laughs> if you, he's going to have his opportunities. Can they be in situations where Tally Hall can make an easy save? Yeah, there's a there's a big a big challenge for the back line, which has has really struggled. Twelve goals allowed in the last four competitive matches uh, for Orlando City, which was doing a good job of of keeping you know minimizing those opportunities and keeping guys out of the most dangerous scoring areas. That hasn't been happening lately, and hopefully it will start happening uh, Saturday night because Columbus has so many ways they can hurt you. In addition to Kamara who's good enough on, as it is on his own. I mean, he, he created a goal when his team was a man down in, in the, the second MLS meeting uh, out of nothing. He just got up in the air and, and headed a ball where Tally Hall couldn't get to it. It was a really, really amazing goal. Um, in addition to him, you got the really quick and creative Ethan Finley on the right side. 
You've got Justin Miram on the left who can not only pass very well, but can he can really strike the ball from distance uh, and put it in a spot where it's where the keeper can't reach it. And, you know, Federico Higuain is another guy who can just create magic and put guys in alone with through balls. Uh, he's very similar uh, to Kaká, except he may be a bit more um, difficult to uh, to track down. He's a little more shifty, I think, than Kaká at this stage in his career. Kyle, what do you think is the the big matchup on Saturday night that uh, you're going to keep your eye on? Yeah, I'm going to keep the eye on uh, our offense and what we're able to do with our play going to score goals. I know Pat was talking about weaknesses in their defense, so I'm really hoping we can uh, take advantage of those weaknesses and kind of get in there and uh, score some goals. I know Rivas has shown a lot of promise and a lot of improvement. Um, I mean, his speed is just phenomenal down the side. So, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Can we take advantage of uh, some mid to low level talent, uh, (laughs) as some would put it, uh, on their back line and and get around and score some goals? Yeah, and I will say that Rivas uh, tortured Columbus's back line in that U.S. Open Cup match. He was absolutely electric. Um, I don't think that... um, it's it's hard to come at Columbus up the middle because Pogatetz and and Parkhurst are pretty good center backs. I think you really need to attack them from the sides, from the flanks, and I think it's going to be a big game for uh, Ash or Bowden, whoever plays left back and whoever plays right back. I think those are going to be very, very key uh, roles against Columbus. And also, uh, Rivas has to have a good game. He has to stay on his feet. He has to get to the end line and deliver crosses uh, like the one he did uh, on Sunday at Yankee Stadium. It was a perfect ball for Kyle Lahren's first goal. So um, to me, that's the key is to is to be able to attack from the flanks because I don't think that Columbus is a team you can get at up the middle with their two center backs and with Will Trapp there. Uh, they're very, very difficult to, to directly uh, come at. So so that's, that's my take on it. And uh, so I think... Between the three of us, I think we have the game entirely covered, and nobody has to go anywhere else for any analysis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so before we get out of here, because it's just about a podcast, of course we have to, to have our, our predictions. Now, we have a tradition on this show that our predictions are always given with the caveat that there's no way in hell they're going to come true. We are not good at this. We don't pretend to be. We just make our predictions and let you laugh at them later. So, with that in mind, Brent, how do you see this one uh, shaping up on Saturday night? All right, so Saturday night, Orlando really needs points. 49 has been the magic number for the last two seasons for the Eastern Conference last playoff spot. How can Orlando get to that? They have to win the rest of their home games and draw, and get results on the road. Um, so, three points, is a, they need it. They need it badly. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to get it. I think the woes continue in the back line. I think they get a result. Uh, so I believe it's going to be a 1-1 game at the Citrus Bowl Saturday night. All right, a 1-1 draw, says Brent. Kyle, what's your take? Yeah, well, um, as is typical in sports, the team with the most points wins, and I think it's going to be us. Uh, you were addressing the, the flank play, and I think that's something that we're one of the best teams at when we have you know the guys we want out there, we have Bowden and we have Ramos out there kind of bringing it up from the back uh, to Rivas and whoever we decide to start on the right this week, um, whether it's uh, Avila or 
or or Neil or whatever we end up doing. But regardless of that, I think that's gonna we're gonna be able to take advantage of uh, the weakness on the sides of the crew back line. I think it's gonna be two to one. Uh, I, I definitely am not gonna go out there and say it's gonna be anything ridiculous. But I think once a goal is scored uh, for us in the Citrus Bowl, I think that atmosphere is gonna explode. And I think it's going to be a great game. And uh, I also think there's going to be at least one red card. Oh, no. Don't say that. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it can't be a there's game. Been, it's, there's it's, been six red cards against Orlando City and one against an Orlando City opponent this year. Oh, so this I don't is, like our odds. No, this is definitely going to be <laughs> for Columbus. They're going to have someone ejected. And I'm really hoping it's Kai Kamara. <laughs> aren't we all? Aren't we all? Uh, who are your goal scorers? Uh, I think Laren's going to at least get one, and I'm going to give the other one to Carlos Rivas. Mm, that would be nice. Uh, Brent, who was your goal scorer? Uh, my goal scorer is going to be Kaká on a free kick. Mm, okay, so nothing in the run of play for Orlando City. I'm going to go with a, you know, <laughs> here's the thing I always come back to when we play Columbus, is we play the same way Columbus plays, and they're more experienced at it, and they have the better striker. That's what I always come back to when it when it's Orlando City versus Columbus. It's like two teams very similar, but one's a little bit ahead. And in terms of, you know, skill and experience up top, and that's where I think the difference can be shown. And I think this is going to be a 2-2 draw, even though it's at the Citrus Bowl, but I think Orlando is going to get a result, but they're not, not going to get all three points. And I see Kaká scoring, finally getting back on the score sheet after a couple games uh, of not scoring, and... I also like uh, I also like Carlos Rivas to score a goal. I think uh, he's due to score an MLS goal. That's you know one of those patented Rivas Galazzos who comes out of nowhere and just smokes one like he did uh, like he did against Columbus the first time uh, in the uh, U.S. Open Cup. He absolutely smashed that ball. I think he's going to score another goal like that because that's kind of how you have to score against Steve Clark. You have to either work the ball to where he's can do nothing with it. He can't get there, or you have to absolutely plaster one like that. That's that's my take. I think Steve Clark's one of the better and more underrated shot stoppers in, in MLS, and that's that's my take. Brent, you're a goalkeeper. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, and it's interesting because he went to Oakland University. So, uh, being that I played at Bowling Green, I've actually seen him play multiple times. We usually played him every year, and even in college, he was a solid goalkeeper. So, um, he's no secret. Um, to me in the Midwest, um, Oakland University, in, in, under his time, went to the NCAA tournament um, in the Horizon League. So his talent is – he went over, I believe, to Norway and played as well. So he's coming over here. I think he's a solid goalkeeper. He's not going to give up the weak one. Um, we just have to – that's why I just think that the set piece is going to get him with Kaká. Okay. Well, um we certainly would have liked a little bit better set piece uh, at the end of the match on Sunday, about two or three inches difference, and uh, we would be talking about a 4-4, exciting 4-4 draw on the road instead of a 5-3 loss at New York City FC. Um, remember, I want everyone to remember this, Andrea Pirlo, he turns around and goes the other way when he's covered. That was an exciting point that the Fox broadcasters continue to bring up. That little spin move. It's like, okay, so he's the first player that's ever gone the other way when he's been cut off. Um, I'm sorry. I just got a little irritated with the uh, the fawning over Pirlo. I, and I'm Italian. I love Pirlo. But now I can't stand him because he's just he's become that, that new guy it was, who just gets, gets way more pub 
than you want to hear. Um, I thought it was going to be Gerard, but it looks like it's going to be Pirlo. Well, and, and I don't get that because I think Gerard it, it seems to be, at least in my opinion, a little bit more of a better fit. But I think what Pirlo should be getting more attention for is the fact that he completely called where Kaká's free kick was going to go. You see him point to it, and that's the thing. You know, we're talking about the guy spins away from the defender, which everyone does. Not the fact that he's a mind reader and is predicting where uh, where the ball's going. Well, I think you can tell when where the when the wall and the goalkeeper line up. The guy shooting is usually going to go for the spot where he has the most room to score a goal. That's to me. I didn't think that was a big uh, a, a big mystery. And in fact, Josh Saunders probably set things up to where he's going to force Kaká to go a certain way so that he knows what to do to make the save. I, Brent can probably speak to that better yeah, than me. Yeah, I was actually watching it. I've watched that that shot over and over again. He kind of sets the wall up to guard that near post, but like a lot of goalkeepers and. They they want to protect over that wall because that's where most players put the ball. Um, you look at Rivas's goal against West Brom, puts it over the wall, um, and mm-hmm. then the next game, um, I believe it was FC Dallas, he puts one, it puts him over the wall, but the goalkeeper goes over and cheats over and gets it. So, I think and I, I watched it. Saunders actually steps towards the wall side, and then it goes back, and then he he has no way of getting there. And Kaká completely fools him, but misses the frame. I think if Kaká puts that thing anywhere on the right side in in the goal, it goes in, and, and we're talking four four. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it was a post. Uh, stupid woodwork got in the way. Um, absolutely no sense of drama from the woodwork. Um, but uh, uh, it is what it is, and now we're staring at uh, up at the playoffs, and uh, hopefully Orlando City can get back on track against Columbus on Saturday night. But uh, I want to thank you guys, you two first-timers here at the Mainland Podcast, Brent Petkus and uh, Kyle Foley, both from the Mainland, and uh, appreciate you guys uh, coming on, and uh, we're certainly going to have to have you guys on again uh, here really, really soon, and uh, appreciate it. So uh, for Brent and for Kyle, Michael Citro here from the Mainland, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at the Mainland, that's M-A-N-E, not M-A-I-N, it's a main like a lion, because we're punny guys, uh, and... Uh, uh, also, go to themainland.com. If you are uh, a subscriber on iTunes, please leave us feedback and please rate our podcast and, and please give us uh, favorable reviews because that's the way we move up in their standings and, and in their search engines. So uh, we would really appreciate that. But uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the Columbus matchup. Uh, we got uh, Toronto FC on the horizon and Philadelphia Union first matchup with them coming up here. In a little bit, we'll also probably uh, talk a little bit about the All-Star Game of Kaká and that uh, when we come back next week. But uh, for Brent uh, Petkus and for Kyle Foley, I'm Michael Citro saying, Go City! <laughs>